Well, this is exciting. You pumped for this? I'm ready. Oh, this is so cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this uh, live stream. What are we calling this? The post-game conversation? Yeah. Let's, yes, I like that. The midweek hangout, the <laughs> uh, Facebook fellowship. Who's to say exactly what it is? But uh, we're pumped that you're here. If you're listening to this uh, after the time, after the event uh, on the podcast, wherever you're getting this conversation, I'm so glad you're taking time as we get a chance to dig in a little bit more from the conversation we got to start on Sunday. So um, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Jeremy. If we have met before, my name is still Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I'm so glad to, uh, to be able to host this conversation with three experts, which is excellent. Um, I got a chance to communicate this past Sunday at our church here, Moncton Wesleyan, about money in particular yeah. and what the scriptures say about it, how we can uh, manage it well uh, for the sake of the kingdom, and so, uh, so pumped. Um, why don't we go around uh, this circle? We'll start with you, Tracy, and just introduce yourself, why you're passionate about this conversation in particular. Sure. So my name's Tracy Gorvette, and I'm a licensed mortgage agent. And I am passionate about money because I love saving people money. So mm -hmm. I at one time was the coupon queen. Oh, nice. Yeah. With like the booklet and you did the cutting and you got things I for did. free because you had all the coupons. I did. I did. So in the States, it's a little different down there with coupons. They, you really can play the game and come mm -hmm. home the winner. But uh, yeah, I used to go shopping and I'd get stuff and I would come home and I would put everything out on the table and then yeah. Joel would come home from work and I'd say, babe, Guess how much I pay for all this? It was like it was like the Price is Right, you know. And I'd be like, "Can you figure it out?" I'm like I paid two dollars and forty seven cents. Did for you have all a stockpile though? I of, did. Uh, yeah, of I did. like two, like four years worth of dish detergent. Toothpaste, kind of thing? deodorant, yeah, yeah. laundry detergent. Yeah, yeah, totally no, fair. No, uh, I love saving people money. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And then our gentleman via Zoom here, Ivan, fill us in uh, about where you're coming from and uh, why you're passionate about this subject. Hey, well, really great to be here. I'm a financial consultant. And uh, passion, really, it stems back, I think, a lot of our young people, certainly our kids in high school and moving through university, uh, there's a big gap in their ability to learn about money. And we find, you know, many of them find themselves in uh, financial burden. And then I've, I'm really passionate about the retirement side. So I'm a retirement specialist. Uh, so I just help people manage money, protect money, and grow money. So excited to be here. Ooh, that's a great lineup. Manage money, protect money, grow money. I like that. That's like a mission statement. Okay, and then Dave, fill us in uh, where you're coming from and what makes you passionate about this. Yeah, my name is uh, Dave Flanagan, and uh, I've been an entrepreneur oh, back uh, when I was in my uh, late 20s and um, been pretty passionate about uh, uh, running businesses all that time. It hasn't always been uh, uh, home run or success. Uh, had a couple of financial failures that I had to learn from. So I guess I'd really like to uh, maybe pour myself into some other folks that, uh, you know, maybe have had some ups and downs in life and maybe share some thoughts on uh, uh, sparing them some of the things that I uh, went through. So really excited to be part of this tonight and uh, hope I can help uh, even just one person find a, a better financial pathway forward. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you guys, all three of you, for taking time. And for all you guys that are live with us, uh, know that you can submit questions as we go uh, into the chat, and those will be filtering in through to us, and we'll aim to answer uh, just as many of them as possible. In fact, um, we've got no dedicated end time, so theoretically, we could stay here all <laughs> night uh, and make sure every question gets answered. We have a few <laughs> that will keep us going and, uh, and get us started here, but again, we would love 
the interaction from you folks as well. And if at any point, um, wherever you're listening, even this is beyond the live stream, um, you can reach out to us, um, mw.church. Uh, we've got a little connect form there. And uh, those, all of those kind of uh, comments, questions that come in through the website, they can be filtered uh, to each and every one of us, honestly. And so we would love uh, to hear from you there. Uh, as well. Now, um, before we get into uh, some of the other submitted questions for you guys in particular, uh, I did ask if I could answer the first question. Yes. And you guys were gracious enough to, to let me uh, tackle that, which I so appreciate it. Um, we had some great um, pushback from a few different folks um, from the message on Sunday, which was the one that I preached. And I actually really enjoy it. I, li- I like when people have something to say, something that you know they want to, to push back on. I learned a lot from it. I learned from an interaction I had with one particular person over Facebook. And so I want to make sure that her question got uh, uh, talked about here right at the start. So we had a long, or not a long, but we went back and forth a little bit just to clarify. And so the first question is, how do you respond to someone who is caught in systemic poverty and severe income inequality. Um, there's so many who are overburdened with things like student loan debt. Uh, you know, they're unable to get ahead because the deck is actually stacked against them. So pulling up your bootstraps, um, which is kind of what, as we were talking, a lot of what the message uh, felt like, especially for somebody in some of these situations, like just pull up your bootstraps, you can figure it out. Um, that doesn't actually help someone because they literally don't have enough money to do anything that we mentioned on Sunday. And so I thought, I mean, A, this is like super gracious for this person to, to reach out and to actually want to talk about the subject a little bit more, to be a little bit transparent yeah. about why um, these things are important. And so, uh, A, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, and then as I was processing that question, you know, thinking from Sunday and as, as kind of preparing this message, um, I do want to own and recognize the fact that we didn't talk a lot about some of the challenges that people do face. And when it comes to something like uh, systemic poverty, there are challenges and problems here in New Brunswick, uh, across our country, uh, and all around North America. Now, the message from Sunday and a lot of the, the financial advice that we talked about that didn't start with me, but that you know we've gleaned from other folks, is in fact, a, a, I would say, like a Western, uh, not like a Western, like the, like, woo-woo, and you, know, you bring out your guns, <laughs> Western, but like the Western society kind of thinking around finances. Because certainly you can find yourself in uh, some, some really intensely impoverished countries where that advice doesn't make any sense at all. And so I, I have to own that. I didn't clarify that. Um, but here, even with our own culture, we do have still systemic poverty issues. We do have um, challenges where people are completely caught up and are in, in a hole, and the deck is stacked against them. I think what I was hoping that people would hear from Sunday is that even when the deck, the deck is stacked against you, you still have cards to play. And that most times, uh, no matter what your financial situation is and how bad it might be, you still have some agency left in you. You still have some freedom to, uh, to do things that maybe aren't going to push you as, head, as fast as you would like or as, as fast as that would be fair. But you do have cards to play that allow you to be uh, an individual that takes control of their life and, and sees a different kind of future than perhaps, uh, you know, you've found yourself in. And so the, the reason why I want to say that is because I think sometimes it, there's this pendulum that might swing from thinking that uh, all of the challenges people have are either systemic and it's not their fault and there's nothing that they can do. And the problem with that thinking is that it, it actually devalues, dehumanizes people to the point that they are not allowed to take steps and get out. Um, But I also appreciate the fact that just pulling up your bootstraps doesn't fix everything. However, if you are here in Moncton or if you are in a Western community, um, 
the truth is, is that where, wherever you're at, I think there's a way forward so your future can be different than your present. And the specifics will be dependent on the person and dependent on uh, the financial realities that you're dealing with. And so uh, maybe this is more of an invitation that we would love to hear from you to reach out. And for us, if you're comfortable, just to talk through that, because uh, honestly, personally, like the idea of being laden with an overwhelming amount of student loan debt, like I've been there. <clears throat> the idea of being trapped in, in a poverty situation, that's a part of my story too. And so I understand that there's a sense of hopelessness there, but there is still, no matter what, a way forward. And I haven't yet and I've been able to chat with lots of folks, I haven't yet found a situation that was completely hopeless. Um, there is a way forward, and I want to just acknowledge that. So that was, I just wanted to clarify that, but it's more of an individual conversation. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to speak to any of that? Am I crazy for saying any of those things? Jeremy, I'll, t- I'll touch on I would on agree it. with you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead Ivan. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I, you know, I think maybe a lot of us have been down on our financial knees at one time or another. And so I wanna say that I could really empathize with that person and and what they're going through. I guess some of the things I would say is don't give up, first of all, you know. And, And the other thing I would say, it's critical throughout all this to have a positive attitude that there is a way to uh, get from where you're at to where you wanna be financially. And so, you know, I say, don't give up, have a positive attitude and you've got to be determined. And Jeremy, you touched upon some things there on Sunday with regards to uh, budgeting and debt uh, elimination and those type things. And I think that would be something for this person to look at as well. And then I'll just just say one other thing. I'll let the other folks uh, comment. Uh, one thing that uh, covers up a, a, mul- a multitude of uh, financial uh, sins and disparity is to try to look at ways to uh, increase your revenue and increase revenue streams. So anyway, I'll maybe have more chance to speak on the income revenue side uh, as we progress tonight. Yeah, that's great. Ivan, uh, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I, I think what Dave said is bang on. Is you've got to have hope. You've got to make a decision, right? Eventually you've got to decide, am I going to be, continue to be a victim or am I going to be a victor? And that going to, that's going to start with making a decision that you want to make change. And if we can get there, right? Sometimes when we're, we're down and out in our mind, it's tough to, to see um, clearly. We can't see through the cloudy water. And I think it's really important that, you know, when we have that, I call it the day of disgust, right? The day of disgust where you, you no, no longer want to live that way. And you make that decision and then you ask for help. And uh, there's lots of good people and good resources out there that will help you. Uh, Once you make the decision that I'm no longer going to be a victim, no matter what's happened up until that point. Yeah, I love that. And let's just say, honestly, for uh, any of you that are listening, this is an invitation. Uh, Again, if you're comfortable, we would love to uh, either connect you with a professional or even just to have some passing conversation about um, strategies. Uh, I know for, for me personally, uh, not on the financial end, but like on, on, on personal end, sometimes if you end up in a spot in life where you're like, oh, I don't like what my current reality is at. I want to seek some changes in it. Uh, you go to a professional, you go to a coach, uh, you go to, you know, maybe it's somebody that, you know, can do some personal training for you if you want to get healthier. Uh, you know, I've gone to counseling before because it's just like, man, I need some help in just sorting out the stuff that rattles around in my brain. And so it's worth inviting some 
somebody to speak into the specifics of your financial situation. And uh, this is certainly an invitation that if that's helpful for you, we'd love to do that. Um, okay, now, uh, first question that I want to ask you guys, and then we're going to go to a great question from uh, the chat. But first off, um, what did you, Tracy, if anything at all, and I want you to actually come up with something, <laughs> did you disagree with anything from Sunday's message? I did, actually. I love it. <laughs> Tell us. Tell us for real. This is great. This and is I'm cathartic for me. very positive and encouraging, so I don't like to necessarily give what might feel like negative feedback. No, it's not but, negative. It's so um, helpful because we okay. have to be critical about the things that we hear and process. Okay. And gosh, as a communicator, I love nothing more honestly than somebody saying, oh, no, I didn't quite agree with this because there's lots of times where I probably didn't agree with it either. So no. fill us in. Okay, well, first of all, it was a great message. And, yes, that's fine. Thank and you. And props to you for <laughs> speaking about money because that tends to be the thing that a lot of people go, you can talk to me about anything at church, but don't talk about my money. Yeah, sure. You know, it's it's a hard subject to talk to people about. Um, and frankly, you know, it's got to be intimidating to to get up and talk to people about it because do any of us actually feel like we're experts on it or we've got it all figured out? Mm -hmm. I, I highly doubt that. Um, but we all have places we can learn um, about, you know, how we're handling our money and that kind of thing. So um, the thing that stood out to me on Sunday, first of all, is I don't have a lot of history with like Dave Ramsey teaching and books and stuff like that. Right. I actually have never read any of his books until this year. Uh, about a month ago, I listened to one of his books on Audible, yeah. and it was the Total Money Makeover. I'd heard about it, and again, I'm s somewhat familiar with the principles, but I was like, eh, I'll, I'll take a listen to this. It was a free yeah. book, and so um, because I was listening to it, I probably wasn't listening 100%, mm -hmm. but it seemed like when you presented his steps that there was not much talk about um, tithing or giving or you know donating or things like that until the very end of the steps. Yeah. I probably have that wrong, but I, but when you taught, I was like, hold on, we don't want people to think that, you know, living a life of generosity is something that you don't consider until you have everything else in line. Yeah. So was, did I hear that wrong? You, you heard that very, very correctly, I would say, but in, but in, in the sense that I was wrong. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so absolutely. In fact, in retrospect, thinking about the Dave Ramsey steps and even the way that I communicated hey, the three action steps we took, which was decide the direction, you know, count the dollars, and then give extravagantly, uh, it sounds like you're supposed to get your financial house in order before you give anything away. Right. And, uh, and that's incorrect and that's wrong, and I am apologizing publicly for okay. leading people incorrectly because, honestly, what, when we think about things like generosity, and in particular around here, when we think about something like the tithe, uh, we believe that comes from the first fruits of your income. And so that's a principle that, again, I've lived on for my whole life, and that if you haven't, it's something I honestly would say is a game changer when it comes to releasing yourself from the uh, enslavement that your, your money can have over you, uh, is to, from the very beginning, the first fruits that come in, to, to, to you know, give some away, to write a check is the easy way to say it, but I don't have checks, so I don't, <laughs> to e-transfer, uh, take the cash out and give it. But because generosity is something you need to bake in right from the beginning, no matter where you're at in your steps, the difference, I guess, and where I should have clarified is the opportunities you get when you care for the direction that your finances take, uh, you end up be allowing yourself to be more generous because instead of having to cover your expenses around mm -hmm. debt collector or, you know, debt, financing your yeah. debts or, or covering your debts, 
um, you now have that, those resources to actually send out and to be more, even more generous. So that's my bad. I should have clarified that up front. I am sorry. Um, Ivan or Dave, did you guys want to weigh in on that? Because I apologize to you guys as well. No, you guys good? We'll move on. Um, the point being, though, honestly, uh, wherever you're at in your financial journey, uh, God can use you and wants you to, uh, I think, offer to him uh, your resources. They are his. We're just managers of them. And by trusting him in the very first fruits that you get from your labor, uh, from your income, uh, it's a game changer for sure. Okay, so thank you for that. We've got a bunch of uh, we've got a bunch of questions coming, which is great. A couple in particular around fixed incomes. So a couple people have asked any advice for like single parents on a fixed income or a disabled individual or family that has a fixed income on how to, uh, I'm guessing, uh, you know, still move forward with their finances when the income stream is, is fairly set and there's not movement to increase it. Uh, so Dave, you had mentioned a little bit about increasing your revenue stream. What do you, what do you say to somebody that's like, Hey, but I'm on a fixed income. I don't think I can push that forward. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, different ways today that we can increase our revenue streams. I think of a story that my, um, Mother told me about her sister. This would be back in the 60s, and they had uh, a family of seven kids, and uh, money was very tight. And uh, she did something very simple. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, she turned, uh, she turned water into uh, bread and milk for her family. And how she did that, uh, their house was by... Uh, uh, a park that had a, a waterfalls in there. So a lot of people would drive by their house every day going to the park. And she decided to take some margarine tubs and put water in them and freeze them and sell the ice to people going to the park. And she made enough money to uh, buy uh, bread and milk for her family for several weeks. So sometimes we think it's, you know, we got to have a, a real savvy business plan. We have to have all kinds of finances, but there are ways that uh, you can increase revenue streams and bring additional funds into your family uh, without uh, a big uh, education or a degree or all kinds of money. So, um, you know, I've started a, a number of businesses on less than a thousand dollars. And uh, so I just like to say that there are ways to bring um, there's a, a program you can uh, look up called multiple streams of income. And that may be helpful, helpful for some, some people that want to look at, uh, bringing additional revenue into their family when they're on a fixed income. That's, that's great advice. Ivan, did you want to add anything to, uh, folks asking about being on a fixed income? I think Dave is, is, is right. And I know it's really easy to sit there and say, you know what, that's really great for Dave, but you know, I've never done anything before or all these limiting beliefs start setting in. And I think it's, it's important to, to make that decision where you say, you know, you got to have a burning desire. And if you've got a burning desire to change your situation and make it better, you'll find a way you'll ask for help. But if you're sitting around hoping for things to change, well, I can't say that we can expect them to change. So I, I love what Dave said. Sometimes we got to be a little bit creative. Sometimes we got to find ways to make it happen. And it comes down to really having a burning desire to want to change your situation. 
And that's kind of the hard candy. Not everybody wants to hear that, but it's the truth. So it's really helpful. You know, it, it makes me think that uh, there's something helpful about knowing just the granular uh, financial picture that you're in you know you've got expenses that's the stuff going out you've got the revenue the stuff coming in and you can play with those two numbers but those are the only two numbers that you really get to play with but the great news is if you have this financial direction and you've worked out kind of a a way forward where you want to be in a number of years you can kind of get to know the specifics of what it's going to take to get there and so if you know okay i have my fixed income it's going to take me five years until I'm debt-free, or it's going to take me 10 years until I'm debt-free. At least, A, now you know, but then B, you can start to tinker around a little bit more with the expense and the revenue side. And Tracy, you had said earlier about on the expense side, um, you know, you were pretty passionate about couponing, which is one (laughs) of the ways that you can theoretically cut expenses. And so there's probably more than just cutting coupons that you discovered about trying to work on the expense side of things. Do you have any thoughts or ideas to throw people's way? Absolutely. So I'm a firm believer of regularly, you know, reviewing your expenses um, and knowing really where's your money going. Um, I sat down with a client not too long ago and he was, you know, in a really tough spot financially, was looking to maybe refinance his house to pay off some debt. And so I said, you know, first of all, before we take the step, you know, why are you at this point? What does your budget actually look like? And he said, well, I'm not really sure. Can we meet next week? Let me have some time to kind of go through my bank statements and really write down, where is my money going? Because he made really good money. And um, so we met back together about a week later, and he sat down. And I'm just going to throw some random numbers out there. But let's say he was making five grand a month, but he was behind on a lot of his bills and all of his expenses that he wrote down for me, from his mortgage to his insurance to he didn't have a car payment to, you know, the food that he bought, um, that kind of thing, he only accounted for $2,500 of that, half. And I said, if this is the truth, you should have about $25,000 in the bank. And you don't. So, you know, he really needed to sit down again and go through and really look at where is your money going. Um, Once you do that, then you can see, okay, my spending is way higher than I thought, maybe on food. I'm eating out too much. I'm buying too much at the grocery store that maybe I'm not even actually cooking this food and it's food waste, you know, or I'm subscribing to too many different little services. You know, those Hulu and Crave and Netflix, they all can add up. Or maybe, you know, you have an Amazon habit or, you know, whatever it is, there's probably some place or a couple of places you can make small changes that you might not even really, you know, feel a, a deep impact on that could help start, you know, allow you to get ahead. Um, some of the biggest things that I've done over the years, because I, I did not work for an income for most of my, uh, our first 20 years of marriage, I stayed at home and homeschooled our kids. So I wasn't helping at all with income. My job was to help cut the expenses. Mm -hmm. That was how I helped make money for our family. How can I cut our expenses? Cooking, I love to cook, so that helps. But even if you don't love to cook, there are things that you can do that are um, shortcuts. Cooking shortcuts help keep you away from the restaurants because eating out is so expensive, especially Mm -hmm. here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And my other tip, things I did, DIY. I DIY everything. Mm -hmm. If I can fix it, or if I think I can fix it, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. I have tried to fix things on our cars, believe it or not. Of course, yeah. I, grew, I grew up with a dad who uh, was very handy, and so I, I watched and learned a lot, but I, I'm not a very handy person. Uh, I have fixed a refrigerator so we didn't have to buy a new one. 
when we thought we were going to have to re replace it. Um, but you can learn how to fix and do a lot of stuff these days yeah. on YouTube that, you know, we didn't have access to 20 years ago. But yeah. You know, it's so interesting. So expenses and revenue, thinking about where you can make changes on those things. I think just inviting somebody else into, yeah. which can be a little bit scary because we're <laughs> not taught to do this, but actually inviting either friends or an expert into reviewing some of those things to try and help understand. Because honestly, the minute that you start sharing, it's like, oh, did you know that you can get your cell phone bill down to yes. $50 a month or less? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can get your food budget down by making some changes to the things that you, you cook and eat. You can, yeah. you can make meals, you can get into meal prep in such a way that it's not a burdensome kind of thing that yeah. takes too much time and yet can, you can hold on to and can use for meals throughout the week. So there's just a number of ways to look at the expense side. On the revenue side, I want to throw just a, a couple of ideas because um, my wife has been uh, a stay-at-home mom for the last number of years, but she's a, a teacher by trade, and so she's learned of uh, a number of different ways that you can make an income. And her most recent one uh, is with a program called OutSchool. And so she teaches, and you can set up and teach anything you want on this particular thing. You can teach at any time of the day. You set your own hours. And, uh, and there's people that are teaching, like, how to play Pokemon cards. There's people that are honestly teaching uh, about, like, she does a cupcake and, 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 and cake decorating kind of class. But you can pick anything. You don't have to have any kind of uh, formal education. And there are people that are constantly asking for someone huh. to do these things, and they pay, it pays really well in U.S. dollars. And so um, there's ways to tweak on both sides of those things. Okay, so that's uh, you know not the end of the conversation for people on fixed incomes, but inviting somebody else to look at your fixed income and helping on the revenue and the expense side of things can help move you forward. So many great questions. So we got to jump into uh, what is recommended uh, for someone uh, that's a single person on a low income uh, recommended about getting a mortgage. And so, oh. Tracy, this is for you because yeah. this is your uh, expertise. So somebody that's uh, low income, single person, do they go for the mortgage? What's your suggestion? It really is a situation by situation thing. You know, for some people, renting is going to be the best option for them depending on where they are. If buying a house is the best thing, you know, some factors you have to take into account are what's your credit score like? You know, is your credit clean? Even if it's not maybe... Uh, really rich with lots of credit cards and loan history, you know, have you been making your payments on time uh, and consistently? Uh, do you have a down payment? If you don't have a down payment, there are some other options. Um, you can have a gift. It, maybe you have a relative who would give you a gift for your down payment. That's completely allowed. Um, there's uh, an option for borrowing a down payment. That really, though, um, most people who qualify for that program, they have to have a little bit higher income to help offset additional debt that you would be taking. Um, so that's Let me ask you, so for somebody yeah. that is low income and a single person, do you recommend, would you recommend buying a home in Moncton in today's market? It really depends on their current financial situation. Can they afford the payments? Can they afford the maintenance? Can they afford, you know, when you buy a home, it's a little different than having an apartment. If you have an apartment and something goes wrong, guess what? You're not stuck with a repair bill. Um, you're also not building any equity. But if you own a home, it's a lot of responsibility. So there's a measure of financial risk in owning a home mm -hmm. um, that's different than just renting an apartment. So, you know, some people would say, do everything you can to not throw money away by renting. I don't, I don't subscribe to that myself, even as a mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. Joel and I rented an apartment for our first two years that we were married. I loved renting an apartment. Mm -hmm. You know what? I knew exactly each month how much our housing expense was going to be, and I didn't have to worry about it when the washing machine went out or when the roof needed to be replaced. Yeah. 
It, it seems like in today, like I know the market in Moncton is on the upswing. It is. But, it, uh, but historically, even across the country, like this is one of yes. the cheapest places to get into a home. And running the numbers, it seems like, man, if you could find a way to be as responsible with the rest of your commitments and to save up that down payment, your mortgage payment on, a, on, a, on an affordable home in Moncton is probably considerably lower than your rent would be, like to the point that it's probably yeah. worth it if you can make it. Eh? But again, you have to factor in. It's not just your mortgage payment. You also right. have property taxes, which yeah. tend to be kind of on the higher side from my yeah. experience living other places. Yeah. You have homeowner's insurance that you need to have every month. You've got utility payments that might have been included in your rent. So once you start adding up all those kind of things, yeah. you know, you really do need to factor in the whole picture, not just that principal and interest payment, because that is going to look very small compared to what your rent yeah. might currently be right now. Um, and it is hard because I know rent is also going up in this area. There's just yeah. high demand. There's lower inventory. People are feeling that squeeze right now. And there's almost a sense of urgency that it's like, I need to buy right now. I need to buy right now. I need to buy right now because prices are just going to keep going up and up and up. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know. Are they going to keep going up or are the prices going to level out at some point? Who knows? But if you're in a position where you have strong credit, you have a down payment or you have a gifted down payment, um, you know, you might qualify if you have, if your debt amount is low enough, you could qualify for a mortgage. I mean, I, it's easy to find some calculators online um, that would show you where you can put in. How much is your income? How much is your debt load? Mm-hmm. Do you, would you qualify for a basic mortgage? And there are a few programs out there for people who have a lower income amount. If you earn less than $40,000 a year, I think it's 40000 It might be $30,000. Um, there is a program, a special program out there. Um, it's, it's tough to find a bank that will go along with this provincial program, but there mm-hmm. are some options out there. Love it. Yeah. Love it so much. Okay, there's so many great questions. This is incredible, so we've got to keep rolling. Um, we've got uh, kind of two that might go together. So how do you feel about credit counseling agencies? Uh, is that a good idea? And then uh, somebody else had commented that Dave Ramsey, you know, he's a great resource in this matter. How do we change from uh, the credit card culture that we're in to more of a debt-free culture? And, of course, Dave Ramsey is famous for saying, um, you know, the paid-off home mortgage, home mortgage is the uh, – the new BMW type of thing. Like it's the marker. You want to get people to that point. Cash is king uh, is his thing. So uh, for uh, Ivan, do you mind jumping in and do you feel comfortable talking about credit counseling agencies? I know nothing about that and about helping people change from uh, a culture of credit to a debt-free culture. Let's start with the second part. You know, we live in a, a world today where it's get it now, pay for it later. And often we'll see if somebody's going to look at, you know, buying a car or buying a, a snowmobile, they come back with, well, the car is $500 a month. Well, no, the car is not $500 a month. The car is $50,000 or $45,000. So we live in this society where we, we, we figure if we could pay for it each month or we can afford the payment, then we can afford to have it. And that's completely not true. The other reality is we want it now and we want to pay for it later. And, you know, what we see over and over and over is young people, they come out of university or college with a whole lot of student loan debt. Then the first thing they do is they buy that car that they really can't afford. They go get that new car. And now they've got the car payment. You know, if they're getting ready to settle down, they're going to buy, buy that home. And, you know, we see people ratcheting up this debt and they're ne- nearly 40 to 50 years old before they can see daylight of all this debt that they've created. And it's very difficult. And, and you've got to start realizing that we buy things that we can afford. But the second part of that is we've got to create a habit where we're putting some money aside every single month. Like I teach my kids now, 
to put money aside every single month. And then it's all about your time horizon, right? How long you've got to put money aside. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing about credit counseling, typically when you're going down that route, that means you've got some financial challenges or some credit challenges that you're trying to uh, make light of it. And sometimes it's, it can be helpful. Sometimes it can be uh, you know, a good opportunity, if you will. But every situation, like Tracy was saying, is completely different. But I would encourage you um, to, to, get, to get some help, first of all. Sometimes the credit counseling people can give you some advice and give you some options. So really important to ask for help. Um, I think we're learning a lot tonight about perspective. You know, you, you have a certain perspective on your situation based on the information you have. Somebody else, if you ask somebody else that's qualified uh, to answer some of your questions, they can give you a different perspective. I see that, you know, every day in the work that I do, we're able to give people a different perspective, like, oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't think of that. You know, I, I got to put this plug in for Tracy. Tracy's very much a miracle worker in what she does because she truly cares about people. You know, if you're thinking about getting a mortgage right now, per se, um, and, and you're not in a position to get it now, but she can help you put a plan to get it later. And it's the same thing with your debt load. It's the same thing with um, credit counseling. You just got to get the right advice and you got to ask the right questions to the right people. I love that so much. Dave, you want to jump in on this one? Well, on the credit counseling, I would say yes. If, you, if you're in that position that you need that help, absolutely go for it. Um, counseling is just counseling. You've got to decide, you know, once they counsel you what you're going to do. And you've got to really make sure that, you know, you could get into a situation where they say, you know, you need to uh, consolidate your debts. And uh, uh, rather than, you know, do this snowball effect that you were talking about on Sunday, I mean, um, you know, my choice would be that you would do the snowball effect, that you wouldn't uh, consolidate your debts. Uh, usually, if you're in a situation where you need to consolidate your debts, as you've got yourself into trouble from, you know, not managing your money well or not being disciplined, consolidating your debts, you know, if you got that counseling, you know, you, you may free yourself up for a while, but what a lot of people tend to do is ram their debt back up again. So, it's great to have advice, but you've got to really um, think things out quite well as to what you're going to do. So, But, you know, you've got to educate yourself. I mean, there's all kinds of books. There's all kinds of information on the Internet where you can uh, educate yourself on how you should handle your finances, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And uh, so, but counseling is certainly maybe... Uh, one arrow in your quiver that you would use to uh, help yourself out of a, a negative situation. When it comes to credit cards, uh, you know, if you're in a habit of paying your uh, credit card off at the end of every month, I think you've got good control of it. But uh, often we see young people getting credit card debt with high interest and, and they're in a mess for years and years and years. They can't seem to dig themselves out of that hole with the credit card. So those are a dangerous tool if you're not really uh, if you're not really disciplined. Yeah, so helpful. Tracy, did you want to speak to that? I did, just because I uh, regularly see people's credit reports, yep. and those reports will show, you know, have they had any collections, consumer proposals, bankruptcies, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I would suggest if you're not in a great place financially, like you had said, get some advice from someone. If you know of somebody else that you would look at in your life and you would say, 
I have every reason to believe that their finances are in order. Mm -hmm. Ask them if you could have an hour of their time. Ask mm -hmm. them if they would help kind of look over your situation to see, is there anything that they see that, um, you know, that you could be doing differently to better yourself? Yeah. If you've gotten to the point where you need to consolidate debts or you have a consumer proposal or you're having collections, you want to be very careful who you're going to for advice because sometimes mm -hmm. When they say, we will take over the payments for this for you, they do do that. However, they may not always tell you that the payment you're making, that they're then dividing up to your creditors, it may not cover the minimum payment amount. You could be thinking that you're making your situation better, but your credit report score is tanking and you're being you know, hit with late payment marks on your credit score and once your credit report is in a bad spot, it can take a couple of years sometimes to recover from that. That For some people, they're like, well, what does that mean? That means that if you decide to go for a mortgage, you're not going to qualify for the best rate possible. So you're going to pay a higher amount of interest for that mortgage if you've been qualified. If you need a car loan, you're going to pay a much higher interest rate. You're going to spend more money. Um, there are other places where, you know, they check your credit score, your, your credit report to see are we going to do business with you? Are we going to lend to you? And often, if your credit doesn't look good, they will, but at a much higher rate. You're just costing yourself more money down the road. Um, so just be very careful if you're going that route, that you're getting really good advice and you understand the ramifications of that. Yeah, if I can, and I don't know if this is a pushback, but I just want to make sure people know um, – I would be hesitant to put too much stock in just trying to build up the right amount of a credit score uh, only because there is, in, in my view, the only time you want your credit score to come into play is when you get a mortgage. Ideally, you never want to have to put anything else uh, you know, on credit. So you know, the idea of going, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, like uh, having to put a vehicle on credit, uh, I would much rather normalize in our culture the idea that you can pay cash for your vehicle. Yeah. And if you can't pay cash for the vehicle you're looking at, then try to look at a vehicle that's a little bit more affordable. So that's ideal, yeah. and I love it, and I totally agree. If you can pay cash, please pay cash. That's the yeah. best thing to do. But you still need a credit report that has a number or the bank is absolutely not going to loan to you. Right. And so the way that you get that score, you need to have, ideally, two credit lines. Credit line being an, a car loan or two credit cards. And they want to see two years of history mm -hmm. of consistent, solid payments. And they're not talking about like a credit card with a $500 limit that you're never using. If you don't ever use your credit cards, mm -hmm. they're, you're not showing the bank that you have the ability to use credit wisely. So it is, it's a hard catch because, you know, you don't want people, especially young people who are just learning to get into trouble with credit cards. And that's why they're often given a low limit credit card yeah. to start with. But like I've told our kids, they have their first credit cards. And I'm like, once a month, I want you to buy one thing. I don't care if it's a sandwich at Wendy's, buy one thing, have your bank account set up so that that payment is automatically made before the due date mm -hmm. so that it's paid in full every month. And it shows you're using your credit card. You're not using much, but you're putting it on, you're paying it off immediately. And it's, it's going to generate a higher score. If you don't have a score of at least 650 mm -hmm. on your credit score, then you're not going to qualify for the best possible interest rates. Now, now we're in the weeds a bit, so we can't talk <laughs> be here for too long. Is there manually, manual underwriting in Canada for mortgages? You mean like something common sense where somebody would look at it and go, well, yeah. they just don't use credit. You know, I'm not, I have not had a client yet 
who has not had a credit score other than my clients who've come here from another country. Right. And those clients, we do have to show then alternative credit, uh, proof of credit. We have to show 12 months of regular cell phone payments that have been made on time or utility yeah, payments you can or build, rent Yeah, because you payments. can build credit by like your cell phone payment, can't you? Your cell phone does report on your credit score. And a little tip here. Yeah. Uh, across the board, credit or cell phone companies seem to report quickest to the credit bureau reporting agency if you are late by one day. Oh, interesting. So your credit Don't card payment late. might be a few days late, and they might not ever report it. But if your cell phone bill is one day late, they will report it every time. Interesting. They, I have had clients who have perfect reporting history, but their cell phone bill will show late payments here, 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 and here. So make those cell phone yeah. uh, payments, make them early. Don't yes. make them on time. Make them early. <laughs> and, and sorry, the reason why I was pushing in on that, uh, Tracy, is because as uh, we had a question about moving from credit cards to a debt-free culture, like I, I think I really want people to hear that you can actually live in Canada without relying on debt as a means to make it. And so, you know, avoiding debt from, from everything from, you know, vehicle loans to, you know, having to put things on credit cards, especially when you think about letting that balance run from month to month, um, to all the other different debt products that are out there. Like even like, man, I met a couple of family ones and they were trying to figure out how to get out of their, the hole that they were in financially. They were on a fixed income and they're like, how do we, we can't, we can't make ends meet. And as we dug into, like they were on a number of assistant programs, yeah. um, but the, like the income was um, literally $50,000 for this family, um, but their money was so caught up. They were renting uh, in the rent-to-own schemes, yeah. uh, their, everything in their house, their yeah. beds, their yeah. couches, their coffee tables, the TV, the PlayStation, everything was on the rent-to-own track. And unfortunately, that predatory kind of yeah. process completely bogged them up yeah. and they couldn't see past the ability to actually own things to buy things with cash to pay for things yeah. to get themselves out of that situation so that's why i just i want to make sure we don't we, we help people see like the credit score isn't i don't this is me maybe just me but the credit score isn't a winning score it's not like yay i've got a high credit score <laughs> it's like yeah you've borrowed a bunch of money and yeah you met your commitments but it's not like you're winning if you have a high credit score. But that's just me. What do you think? Right. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you have a 650 or if you have an 800, you know, you just need to, to meet that benchmark score. Yeah. And that, you know, you don't have to have tons of credit cards and high balances. You don't want high balances. High right. balances actually, you know, hurt you on your credit score. If you were planning to live cash only and not have credit cards, I would just say for the sake of being able to prove to a bank that you – know how to handle money, keep track of everything you spend, everything you buy with cash. And that's and, only, and again, only if you and, need to purchase a home yeah. down the line. But if yeah. you're already in, you've got your yeah. mortgage yeah. already set, like you're done, you don't need to worry about your credit score anymore. Is that right? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say don't worry about it. <laughs> As in you don't need, anyways. Okay, we'll move on. Um, sorry, this is, this, I just, this is a fun one. Okay, so uh, friends and the, the gentleman over Zoom, uh, somebody is asking, uh, what is the best slash fastest type of investment to build savings for retirement in Canada? Woo. And this is fun because, Ivan, this is right down your lane. Um, but then also Dave has, is going to disagree with you. And so we want to see a little Zoom fight here, which is great. Yeah, I really want to hear the answer to this question, What's the too? best fastest type of investment? Um, should I be shorting GameStop right now? Is... <laughs> Fill us in, you Ivan. Know, you know, the, the reality is... Um... The best plan is to start with the end in mind. 
And, you know, if we're buying stocks and different things, we're hoping to get lucky. Um, that's not a real plan. And I think you would only want to do that with, you know, a small pound percentage of your, uh, your investment money, let's call it 10% or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it varies. It's kind of like Tracy said, every person, individual, their, their situation is different. Everybody, it's got to be customized to them. So there's no short answer to that. We've got to look at, you know, what your goals are. We've got to look at what your time horizon is. We've got to look at what, how much income you have. We've got to look at all, how much debt you have, all these different factors uh, to put, you know, a plan around how you would properly invest. So unfortunately, buying GameStop, um, if you bought it, you know, last month, you're probably, probably doing okay right now, and hopefully it, it continues to. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really about having a holistic plan, starting with the end in mind so that you can reach your goals. And there's a lot of moving parts to that. I mean, we don't expect to lose our jobs, right? That could change the whole whole deal. We, we don't expect to get sick. That could change the whole deal. So there's, there's many different factors in play, and it's not a quick, uh, let me buy this RSP or this TF. Uh, by the way, I'm a, I am a big fan of TFSAs uh, with investment firms. Um, so that, that's really smart, um, getting that tax-free money. But outside of that, it's really about putting a plan together that suits you and your needs and your, your plan and your goals. It's so good. And you know, it's so fascinating that there are these investment vehicles that uh, not many people teach online, unless you're going out and, and again, searching the information. But the idea of a tax-free savings account isn't actually a savings account. Like it's an investment vehicle that you can use to build wealth over time that you don't have to pay any taxes on afterwards. Well, here's a tip on that, Jeremy. Yeah. So one piece, and this is not to pick on the bank. So a lot of banks, if you open a TFSA, it's really just the glorified savings account. Yeah. And it's not actually an investment account. Right. So tip, you've got to ask for an investment account and then pick your risk profile and all these different things. But a lot of people have TFSAs that were, they're not growing any money. It's yeah. like a savings account yeah. and they don't know the difference. So yeah. really important point. Oh yeah. And the RESP, like if you've got kids, it, it's just, I mentioned this on Sunday, but it just blows my mind that the government kicks in after giving you money for having kids, which we love, we are grateful for that. They'll also <laughs> kick in more money if you start saving for their education. And uh, so it's super cool. But uh, I want to throw it over to Dave because I know, Dave, uh, when you think about planning for uh, the future, uh, you have a bit of a different perspective as an entrepreneur. So fill us in. Yeah, I do for sure. I mean, we use our ESPs for our kids, you know, to go to university. So I do believe in those uh, type of investment uh, vehicles as well. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, I, I've never really had great success in putting money into uh, RRSPs. Uh, you know, I, I had money in one time, and, and the only thing it did was went, you know, continually down until I took it out and uh, invested it in a, in, a, in a rental building that I could put it in. So I'm certainly a little bit uh, unorthodox that way. So uh, when I have, uh, you know, money that I want to invest, I want to invest it where I want to invest it, where I have control over it, and I can see uh, what it's doing every day. So I tend to invest in businesses and uh, small, you know, start up small little businesses and then multiple streams of income. And um, Ivan, you were talking about, you know, potentially, uh, you know, losing a job or something. I was listening to this guy being interviewed on the radio here not too long ago. He was a performer and, and the interviewer was saying, gee, it must be hard. You can't... Uh, you can't perform in front of people. You're losing all that income. And he said, well, I've got, you know, I write books, I write poems, I write plays, 
I do stage performances. So for this gentleman, when he had one stream dry up, he had another stream that he went to. So for me, being an entrepreneur, uh, that's what I look for. I look for opportunities to invest in in a, in a business and get that kind of return. And at some point, you're going to have to uh, maybe look at uh, cashing out and doing something with that money. But I think my investment plan is to keep working until I die or I hit 80 and then I don't have to worry about my retirement so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, I know Pastor Buckingham, who uh, was uh, our lead pastor here for a long time. I think he just hit 80, and uh, for some reason, he's going to continue to keep he's, working. He's my hero. So, yeah, I don't know. He's that guy just hero. keeps rolling. Uh, it's, there's a, there's a funny yeah. thing about retirement. I want to get into that in just a second because – uh, you know, just a plan towards like a lot of people think retirement is sitting on a beach somewhere and, uh, and just wasting away the rest of your days. And it's an unhelpful way, I think, to think about the future because that gets old really fast. Like I'm sure a beach is nice. You can sit there and, and uh, enjoy the sunshine for a week or two, but eventually, uh, you know, you turn to a lobster and you got to do something else with your time. So, um, we need to get to that, but first, um, just a quick one here, crystal or sorry, first Jody, uh, asked a question, what does scripture say about interest? And uh, Scripture says a lot about interest, but I want you to clarify specifically what you meant um, by what kind of interest, interest you pay on debts or interest that you make off of things, um, just so we can answer that more thoughtfully. Uh, Crystal says, something that I'm struggling with is, do I continue focusing on paying off my small amount of debt, or do I invest in an RRSP? I'm told to invest, but I hate debt. Now, I want to go out on a limb here and just answer and say, if your debt isn't your mortgage, so if it's consumer debt, um, the plan that we followed was that Dave Ramsey directional plan. Uh, where you would pay off as baby step number two, you would pay off all of your debt except for your mortgage uh, before you get to any kind of investing. And so I would advocate um, taking as much money as you can, crush out that debt so it frees up your income to be able to do the other things that you want to be able to do with it. Uh, Anybody want to disagree with me on that one? I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes back to when you're really looking at somebody's situation, there's so many different factors. And that seems really good for a lot of people, but it's not perfect for everybody. And some people need to start exercising that that muscle of putting something away as well as paying down their debt. But with you, I love the snowball effect. I teach that as often as I can. I think it's the most powerful tool to reduce debt. So this young lady, there's no wrong answer, um, but but there could be other options. Yeah, that's fantastic. I appreciate that, Ivan. (laughs) That's so good. Okay, we had an emailed question that came in earlier and a a really thoughtful one um, that I want to read for you folks. Uh, The question itself, in the spirit of John Wesley, so this gentleman quotes John Wesley. For those of you that do not know, there's a gentleman from England, if I'm remembering my Wesleyan history well, um, who sparked the movement that uh, is now the Wesleyan Church. And so the denomination we're a part of Uh, is sparked by Mr. John Wesley from a number of years ago. Uh, He said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's his direct quote, Uh, John Wesley, uh, a long time ago. Uh, The question is, I wonder if we have bought into another culturally informed expression of prosperity, thinking in our expectations about savings for retirement. Might we have an inflated expectation as a result of our being the wealthiest generation in history? Question mark. Why make a goal? Why make the goal a million dollars? If you can put away at hundred dollars a month for forty years, why not increase your giving by fifty dollars and put away fifty dollars? Are we assuming too much about what we should reach for in retirement savings? That is a great question, Ivan. 
that's that's a loaded question. It, it really is. Yeah, and now um, you have to answer it. <laughs> you know, everybody. We all have. I keep going back to this word perspective. It's my word of the day. I think. And we all have different perspectives based on where we're at in life. And what I can tell you with working with so many different people, um, people's goals and needs are different. So, for example, this is going to sound really harsh. Um, if we think about who's going to cure, I shouldn't even touch this. Um, I'm just, this, just a random thought. Who's going to cure COVID? Is it going to be somebody with a lot of money or somebody with no money? chances are it's going to be somebody with a lot of money if we can cure it or if we can uh, contain it or whatever. So my point is uh, creating wealth, what you can do with that wealth um, is powerful. I mean, same when we look at Dave of how he thinks about retirement, I'm going to invest in businesses, getting a better return in his mind in businesses and also investing in, in, in businesses, investing in people. Um, so where we give our money and how we give our money is completely different. It's not about, uh, can, can I build the tallest, tallest building? Um, there's two ways to have the tallest building, tear everyone else's down or build the tallest building. And I think it's really important to understand that you get to build the tall building that you want based on what's important to you and your goals and your beliefs. And, and one thing I think that I, I want to come back to is this whole giving and tithing. And for those of you that haven't stepped into that yet, giving really starts the receiving process. And I see it over and over where there's people struggling with um, all different kinds of mental anguish these days. And, and I think some of us just need to go out and give some of our time, you know, come out with a positive attitude and share that positive attitude. Maybe we don't have a lot to give financially, but we can give something, um, whether it's a smile or holding the door or an act of kindness. Um, so it just varies. So do we live in a world where everybody's trying to get the biggest building? Yeah, for many, but there's different ways to do that. And um, it's different for everybody. So I don't know if that's a, a good answer to his question, but. It's a, it's a good, it's, it's helpful. It's a good start. And I want to hear the rest of your perspectives. I want to just share a, a personal story if that's okay. Um, because as I think about this one, this, uh, causes me to think for sure, because I think that we are right to say, uh, that gener generationally we are the richest generation in the history of the world. And so the idea that we would want to store up more treasure for ourselves in retirement for the purposes of relinquishing any kind of, you know, contribution to the kingdom or to society um, is probably a bad one and a false one. And of course, we know, um, even in scripture, we learn about, you know, the gentleman who built bigger barns to house more stuff, and then it was all taken from him because none of it belonged to him. He was just the manager. Um, so a number of years ago, when I, when I was the youth pastor here, actually, at this church, um, I took a group of students on a mission trip to Haiti. And uh, we, we spent a couple of weeks uh, with Carl Magil. It was a phenomenal experience. And one of the last nights uh, of the trip, we were out on their porch just talking about the ways that this trip had changed us and, and the ways that, you know, God was working in our own hearts as we got a chance to see, you know, his kingdom work in a, in a different country, a much different country than ours. And, and I remember in that time, you know, asking the question of, our, of these students, like, what um, what are you going to do differently because of this? And as they were sharing, I really felt like the Spirit of God was impressing on me uh, to make a particular, uh, to stop a particular financial decision I was about to make. I was about to uh, take some money and, and actually buy and build an investment property. And uh, I, I didn't own a home at the time. I was a single guy. I thought this is a great way to save for retirement, to you know protect myself in the future, build up wealth, all that kind of stuff. And, and in lots of ways, that can be a great decision. 
But for me in that moment, I remember so clearly the Spirit of God saying, no, I have other plans for that money. Uh, And I also remember being completely disobedient and saying, that can't be the voice of God, and I'm actually going to go through with it. And the fascinating thing, at least for me now, is to see how that decision was the absolute worst financial decision. Um, Not from a bottom line perspective, but from just recognizing for the next five, six, seven years that that disobedience actually cost me more. Um, Again, not necessarily financially, but in in some stress and some things that came up at the place. and, And it was just an awful, awful decision. And and it's, it was something that Chantel and I had to pray over a bit to recognize that we had done incorrect things with those resources, and we had to find a way to return back to God what he was asking us to to give to him and to give to his kingdom. And so this idea that we just need to build wealth and that's the end goal I think is incorrect for sure. I think the question has to be asked, uh, can we invite the Spirit of God to actually speak to us in all things that we do? Um, can we invite wise counsel? Uh, around us to to speak into how we're spending our resources. And as we do, uh, can we trust that God will actually lead us in something like our money? And I think the answer is yes. Like, I think I think the answer of uh, the, the idea of spending time drawing close to God so that his heart would imprint on our heart and our desires would shift to match his um, means that sometimes we'll do foolish things with money by the world standards, uh, and yet it will be exactly what the Spirit is leading us into. And, and simultaneously, there might be things that we're called to that kind of make sense by the world standard, but God is still wanting to redeem and to use it for his purposes. And so to the answer the question, the goal of becoming wealthier for just being wealthy is for sure the wrong way to approach it. However, uh, will God use and will God invite us to use things like uh, investment opportunities in order that he could reclaim that wealth down the line and use it for his purposes? I think the answer is absolutely yes. And some of the most generous people I know, um, percentage-wise on their income, are also people who are giving massive amounts uh, of money from their uh, income. And so it's not to say that it's devalued if you're giving a massive percentage off of a low income, but it's incredible to see what God does even when people are um, making tons of money and and in, in percentage-wise being extremely generous with it as well. So... That was a long, uh, long little monologue there. But um, any other thoughts or ideas? Push back, Tracy. Do you want to jump in? No, I think I think that's right. And I think what Ivan is saying, and I love that Dave has even a different perspective too. Is that you know each situation is very individual. You know, God is using Dave mm-hmm. to invest in businesses and in people, yeah, and helping them to develop their own skills as well. And he, you know, he has a different comfort level with risk. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Ivan looks at it in a very different way that's more scheduled and planned and says, please put money away every month and be intentional about it and, you know, get a good foundation this way and let compound interest do its thing. And, you know, so his um, tolerance for risk is uh, different and he is comfortable with the risk of those types of investments in a different way. And I think in retirement, you know, what would be wrong of any of us is to think that we're going to get to a point in life where we just get to do what we want to do and have no responsibility to, you know, our neighbors and those in our community around us because, well, we're retired now, so we're going to take our money and run and, you know, whatever. So it doesn't matter if you have a little bit of money or a lot of money at that point in life. If that's your mindset, you're probably not going to be a very joyful person because I believe that what scripture teaches is that generosity is what leads to joy. Mm -hmm. And, 
it wouldn't be wrong of me at this point in my life to be intentionally building a retirement fund with the purpose of continuing to be generous to those around me, even in my retirement years, whatever it may look like. Um, so, you know, for people to, to say that just having that goal is a bad thing, that's not taking into account all the dynamics uh, yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, Dave, I got another big question for you, but did you want to speak to, um, to that one at all before we move on? Well, no, I just say that I do, uh, you know, I've heard that quote from uh, John Wesley, and I certainly uh, believe in that. Um, for sure, I live by that. I would also say, um, you know what, uh, spoiler alert, uh, nobody's going to be uh, taking any money with them when they die. So, you know, we've got to decide, and the older we get, uh, you know, the older I get, I I'm trying to say, what am I here for? Uh, am I here for myself? Am I here for others? What kind of legacy can I leave? Uh, how can I help others help themselves? Or, you know, where, where can I pour myself into? So there's a lot, probably more questions than answers that uh, would come uh, at times. But one thing that I do is I certainly pray to God and I ask God for wisdom, guidance, and direction on what I should be doing. And I always seek to try to be in the center of his will. So those are some, maybe some guiding principles that I would uh, suggest to some folks. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep rolling because we've got like questions and they're rolling in. So if you guys are still good to roll, I know it's uh, eight o'clock. Ivan and Dave, you still got time? Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll be, we can stay here all night. They said, um, <laughs> I do want to add one, one other caveat as I was thinking about again, that, that scripture reference about, um, you know, building bigger barns, uh, to, to hoard more things and wealth. I think there's a, a, a real clear perspective on, on if you're investing in retirement for the sake of security, for the sake of building your own sense of, uh, of self-assuredness, uh, that's going to be the wrong angle for that because we know, but we have a shadow of a doubt that it all can fall apart. It all can go away at any point. And so to be open-handed and, and the spirit and the God might actually ask you to give it all at, at any point point. And so the idea of, Oh, I'm going to invest into uh, my retirement so that I can be safe and secure and not be dependent on God uh, is a really dangerous place to be, um, but there's also um, possible freedom that comes from uh, anticipating the future and and recognizing that he may actually call you to invest for his purposes. So it, there's 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 lots to it there. Um, Victoria asks, what about investments that your work matches 50%? Should you not max it out before paying off small debt and still work hard at your small debt? Um, so there's absolutely the back and forth on that one, Victoria. You'll get mixed reviews from this panel on it. Um, but again, being somebody that tracked with the Dave Ramsey plan, I've heard him talk about it a bunch of times. And he would say, um, you would cancel that match, not because it makes numerical sense, but because it makes behavioral sense to spend the time being so angry at your debt that you'd be willing to, to pound it out and get rid of it as fast as possible so that you can go back to um, getting that match. And the example that he always says or the way that he talks about it is that uh, if your problems with money was just a, uh, a numbers thing about the percentages and about the matches and that kind of thing, you wouldn't be in the spot that you're in. It's a behavioral thing that we're trying to adjust, getting out of debt. And so that's how he would tackle it. Um, but obviously... Um, there's, there's mixed reviews on that. It makes sense. It's like it's extra money to, for your employer to be matching that. Um, but we're advocating for get out of your debt as fast as possible. Um, okay, Dave, uh, Jody asks about, we're going back to that question about interest. Scripture says not to charge interest. So should we avoid it? 
Um, so throughout Scripture, we hear, especially the people of God, in particular, obviously back in the days of the Israelites, in uh, in walking through best practices, in caring for each other, that they're not meant to charge each other interest. Now we're in a bit of a different time, and yet, um, you know, Dave, you're a business owner, and I presume there's opportunities where you need to charge interest or you can charge interest. What's your take on uh, that scriptural um, invitation to the people of God? Not to put you on the spot or anything, but yeah, we <laughs> no <laughs> charge interest. <laughs> no, we we don't uh, we don't charge interest to our clients. I mean, I know that uh, some businesses, if uh, folks are late uh, paying, they'll charge them, you know, two percent uh, or, or something to that effect. We we don't charge our clients uh, any interest. But as far as us, you know, on the flip side of that, us borrowing money. You know, certainly uh, I, I have no problem on an investment on a business side to borrow money at a low interest rate and to be able to take that capital and put it to work and bring back uh, a higher rate of return than what I'm paying on interest. But that's something that you have to calculate very, uh, very carefully. But uh, when you get into these credit cards now, some of those interest rates are, you know, 19% or higher. So those are, that's a whole other maybe. Uh, question or but it's uh, that's, that's fascinating those, i honestly wasn't anticipating things. you saying that you don't charge uh your client's interest uh, on their late payments but that's it was that a decision you made because of the uh what god tells the people of god or sorry what god tells the, his people in the old testament uh no i i guess i i just uh in my heart I, it's not something i i got people owe me a lot of money for a long time and it's it's not a it's not a tool that I use to uh, charge interest. I guess maybe I'm foolish in that sense, but uh, it's it's not something that I do. It's not something that uh, we haven't talked about before. And I've been in business for over thirty years, but uh, it's never been a practice to uh, to charge our clients' uh, interest on late payments. Uh, that's not something we do. Fascinating. Did you want to? Do you want to? You- Jumping on that, Tracy, at all? I don't have anything yeah. else to add to that. Uh, that no. You know, it, it, I mentioned it briefly on uh, Sunday, but it would be fun to do some deep dives into uh, the financial implications of what, you know, being an Israelite meant. And, the I, you know, I th- it was kind of almost like a throwaway line where I said uh, the redistribution of wealth was always meant to be a kingdom conversation and not a political conversation. Uh, and I stand by that. It's actually really true. And you think about the year of Jubilee, yeah. uh, what the Israelites are meant to do every 50 years, what they're meant to do every seven years, uh, that God has been really interested in uh, breaking kind of this generational inequity that can build up over time and so um, over generations. And so, it, you know, there's something there. And I'd be fascinated to know, even if there's a group of, of Christian business leaders that have taken some of those types of principles and applied it because it doesn't make any fiscal sense in the, in the grand scheme of things. And yet uh, it makes a lot of sense from a a societal standpoint that, you know, there'd be a group of people saying we want to turn things around um, from, from what maybe it it seems like from the cultural landscape of wealth being, you know, concentrated at the top and, uh, and trying to push people down as much as possible. So that's not to say anything, but just to say I'm interested in it. I don't know. Has anybody, have you guys done a deep dive on that, Ivan or Dave? Your Jubilee? I've heard of it. I've got a, a client that come to us that wanted to buy some products from us, and they said, 
their religion, which wasn't a Christian religion, wouldn't allow them to pay interest and wanted to know if I would take six equal payments for what they wanted to buy without charging interest. And I thought, gee, well, I guess my money's safe with them, uh, you know, if they're that kind of religious person. So I agreed to it. I didn't charge them any interest. So yeah. I'm on the wrong side of the uh, interest fence here. It's perfect. It's brilliant. I think it's, uh, I think we got to do a, a Bible study uh, at some point here and we'll, we'll get into all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple, uh, I think we're just down to the last couple of questions. Uh, we saved some good ones for uh, for last. Is it better? Is it biblically, biblically correct to tithe your time instead of money? Is it biblically correct to tithe your time instead of money? Now, intentionally on Sunday, you guys kind of caught. I didn't make a, a a big stand on the tithe. I talked about it more as like a personal story and as a church. This has been something that has been you know baked into this place. In fact, I I don't know if I mentioned this or this was just what I thought about in rehearsal. Is that if we were in person, sitting amongst the seats. Uh, and you were sitting here, you'd be sitting amongst some of the most generous people in this side of the country uh, that have given, sacrificially have tithed in order to make this place, this ministry, a possibility. Um, but we didn't make a strong case necessarily for the tithe. So would somebody want to talk about if it's biblically correct to tithe time instead of money? Who wants to take it? Well, I, I, I would say I'm not a theologian, but what I would say is... Uh, I haven't heard any preachers get up and, and say, you know, tie your time. I think that a time is a resource and we've got to use it wisely. And, and certainly uh, we can use it for the betterment of God's uh, kingdom. But I, I can't tell you how much uh, I believe in tithing and how important it is. And uh, tell you a quick story. The first time I tithe, Ivan, I um, took some money out of my budget and I, and I tithed it. And I really didn't have the money to do that. I was, you know, the, the old saying, Rob Peter to pay Paul, I guess. Well, I kind of did that, you know. So the first time I tithed, I was in dire, dire financial straits. And I put the money in the offering plate, and I begged God to give me that money back as that plate was going away from me. And I tell you, God did give it back to me. He gave it back to me that week, uh, equal amount of what I put in and what a lesson it's where God says to test me and I tested him and I've never stopped tithing ever since. And that's just, boys, I'll say anybody who wants to uh, test God, test it with tithing and, and be bold about it. And uh, if you can't start at 10%, start at 1%, start at something. But if I could encourage anybody, tithing is definitely, definitely, um, where you get the most uh, uh, joy in your heart from doing. I don't know about the time side of it. I, I can't speak to that. And I'm not a theologian to say whether it's right or wrong, but I can tell you putting in the 10% is the right thing to do. Well, yeah, Dave, if you could even speak to it, because I know you've had some some pretty low points uh, in your business career where, you know, financially, I know maybe you just referenced in particular, but like, I don't know if you'd use the word like rock bottom to describe it or, or parts where it would be easy for you to have said, oh, and this time I'm going to just do my time. Like I, I can't sacrifice anymore. I'm at the bottom. Um, do you want to speak any more to that experience or what that's like to be in that spot? Well, the first time I tithe, uh, it was in January of a year. I won't tell you the year because you'll think I'm an old man. <laughs> That December, I got invited into, it wasn't uh, the church that I was going to, I got invited into the pastor's office, didn't know what it was for, 
And he said, uh, Dave, I understand you're going through a real difficult time. And we've put your name on a list to give you a food box for Christmas. And, um, of course, pride, I said, uh, no, there's got to be somebody worse off than me. Give it to them. But they'll just show you what financial position I was coming from at that time. So when January rolled around after Christmas, I decided that one thing that I wanted to do was I was going to tithe. And I did not know how I was going to do it. So that was probably, you know, that was right after one time of being totally wiped out. And I got pretty well wiped out again at age 52. And I can tell you at no time in my life at, at when at age 26 and 52, and, you know, I guess business people are risk takers to a degree, but I, I never, ever, ever entered my mind that I wouldn't do my tithe and, and beyond my tithe. Um, the two times I was the lowest in my life, um, it just was not was not a question that was just never entered my mind. I was going to do it regardless. Yeah, so really. good. I, I love the, the audience to, to really hear this. There, there is a direct proportion. There's a direct when you give when you give, you know, like like Dave did and so many other people people do. God's gifts will show up in your life all different ways. And, you know, the more we give, we, we see it. I don't think it's just because it's money. Uh, it's, it's, and and where's it coming from? Is it coming from your heart? Are you tithing because you think you have to, or you're tithing because you want to, and you know, it's the right thing to do. And you're, you're willing to give ge generously, whether it's a little or a lot, but there are direct, there's evidence. I, I know there is, um, it, it'll show up in your life if you begin to give and tithe and so many different wonderful benefits come from it. I know everyone that's on this panel know what I'm talking about. Um, but I really want people to hear that. If, if you do nothing else, start to give for yeah. the right reasons and good things will happen for you. And it's so, so fun that, that we can say that as uh, like Ivan's not a pastor on staff. I'm not a pastor on staff. Dave, you're not a pastor on staff. Uh, Tracy, you're close to a pastor on staff. So we'll say it for you. But, the, uh, but it, yeah. it's so interesting because any, I have heard so many of those stories of people that do sacrifice, that do tithe, and that uh, experience incredible blessings. The hard part is, is that that's not a uh, center point of our theological uh, thoughtfulness. Like we don't want to actually convey that as a, as a, as a thing, because of there's so many people who have, has mi have misconstrued that. And it turns into what's called the prosperity gospel. The idea that, you know, you give God a dollar and he'll give you back 10. And what I said on Sunday is we've already gotten the 10 and yet, and yet I cannot, uh, I, I have to acknowledge the fact that as Ivan has said, as Dave, as Dave has said, there are dozens, if not hundreds of people in our midst, a part of our church that would say, yes, Jeremy, but you have to tell them when I started tithing, things turned around in incredible ways and you cannot negate what God does through that. And so we hold that intention and, and kind of humbly come before, you know, these kinds of audiences to say, this isn't something that we, we want to teach. And yet from people's experience, we have to tell you about it and, um, and acknowledge it. Um, I've got one last question, then we'll do final thoughts. Is that okay with everybody? Uh, so last question uh, sure. comes from, uh, from Anne, who says, I am blessed as my husband and I are on the same page about our financial values, but what would be the best way to talk to a spouse who is not on the same page as you? Question mark. Tracy! <laughs> <laughs> well, I can happily say my spouse and I are on the same page. Yes. Um, and that is a blessing. It is a massive blessing. Uh, you know, because you might be in a relationship where you're a believer and your spouse is not. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you do? That would be hard. Um, and I think my advice would just be to sit down and talk about it. First of all, I think a lot of couples probably don't sit down and talk about finances. It's a, like you said on Sunday, it's a major point of contention for a lot of relationships. It's the downfall of a lot of relationships. Um, and often I think it's because they don't talk about it and they, or they don't know how to talk about it in a, a helpful uh, way that's calm and not combative. You know, they, you bring a lot of financial baggage sometimes with you to a marriage, depending on what your family was like. If you all struggled with money, if your parents talked to you about money, if you have any financial literacy that you, you know, brought with you or didn't bring with you and the debt that you each brought. And yeah, there's just a whole lot involved with that. So, um, it would be a challenge, you know, um, I saw that in my, my own family, actually, because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but my mom became a believer uh, and started going back to church when I was in high school. And I would see my parents. Um, it was funny. I hadn't thought about this until this week when we were talking about money. I was like, what are my financial memories? I can remember when I was really young, my parents had a, a notebook, a spiral bound, you know, at the top, notebook that they kept on top of the refrigerator, and they would both come home. And they would write their entries in there and keep a running log of what they had spent that day. Um, and I don't know 100% for sure, but I'm, I'd say I'm 99% sure that after my mom started going back to church when I was in high school, that she became a, a giver. And I know she's um, a faithful giver and strongly believes in tithing and, and that. And um, I'm not sure that it didn't cause some tension in their relationship at that time, you know. 10%. Yeah. If you're giving 10%, that's a significant chunk of money to just all of a sudden be be giving. And people who aren't believers and haven't read scripture, it just doesn't make sense. Right. It absolutely doesn't make sense. And I don't think there's any way to convince a believe a non-believer that it's a good move. Yeah. Oh, man, I can believe that. <laughs> so. that's, that's tough. Ivan, I know, um, obviously, you've worked with uh, lots of couples before. Um, how do you navigate this when it's uh, clear that they're not on the same page? Well, number one, if, if it's prior to, to seeing me, um, I always recommend third party. So it's tough to talk to your spouse about something that maybe you don't know a lot about. So maybe it's showing them a clip or a book or getting them in front of a professional. So once I'm in front of them, I can, I, I'll, often this happens. I'll sit down with couples and they're on two completely different pages. So I let them talk it out in front of me. And, uh, but yeah, they got to get on the same page. Um, if they're not good, a good communicating couple, you got to use third party or I recommend, you know, got it. I'd encourage third party and that's some sort of tool, something other than you, uh, to show them maybe what they need to hear. Yeah. I'm, I might, I might suggest, um, you know, early on for, for Chantel and I, cause we, you know, I referenced that buying that book was the the thing right after her. <laughs> honeymoon. And, and what I didn't say in the message is that we had a wonderful honeymoon in Hawaii and spent a lot of money on our credit card. And so, uh, there was some, yes, it was a, it was a come to Jesus moment in lots of ways, but, um, talking first about what the goal of the dream is of the future. Uh, if you can get clarity on, on a, on a shared vision for the future, I think that as a good starting point, and at least it kind of separates away from the nitty gritty of, uh, like, do we buy our 
you know, uh, clothes from this store, this store, do we, you know, buy this kind of car, this kind of car, you, you start with the shared vision of what do we want to see happen in our future. And, and if you can find some type of alignment for that, that's, I, I would say, is a decent starting point to then work your way back and say, oh, would we consider, and this is the, the tr- trick that we use, would we consider not making any changes to what we're currently doing with our finances, but let's just track it. And, and that was the very first commitment we made was just to, just to sign up for it. And, and I know Chantel was worried that, that, you know, it would mean that we wouldn't be able to do this kind of thing. I was kind of worried we wouldn't be able to do this kind of thing. And so we said, let's not make any changes. Let's just look at where the money goes. And, um, and by having that shared vision, watching kind of where the money goes, uh, at least in our situation, it magically came together. I know that's not going to be the case for everybody, but it gives you good data to have real conversations about, um, about the numbers and, and not necessarily having to go to the emotions of it all. So I don't know if that's at all helpful or if there's still going to be fights about it, but um, know that we can. So Jeremy, Jeremy, a couple of things. So <laughs> yeah. number one, you got your wife to read the book. Was that right? Uh, yes. Now get her to read the book is a strong way to say it, Ivan. I would probably say as a three week <laughs> married man, I, <laughs> I made the, the loose suggestion that it would be reasonable and fun to read this book um, about personal finances. <laughs> And, uh, and she was, she agreed. So props to Chantel. Yes. But she was on board. You guys got on the same page. Now, well, I really mean, again, cool. we're, yeah, we were close. So <laughs> we just want to be careful exactly how we word all of this. Uh, she's putting our kids to bed now, so we might be in the clear, but yes, it, uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, I, I think I would just add, so you got to a place where you, 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 you had a plan or an idea of where you're going and what you want to accomplish and you're on the same page. Now, here's what's really important is we've got to ask for God's help. We've got to ask for God's support. And um, listen, if God is telling you, it's like buying that building. I see this over and over. I've done it in my own life. Um, I, I chose to do something that, that was different than what God's plan was for me. And it ended up being a disaster. Yeah. Um, and, and I just encourage if, if there's one thing people pick up today is you've really got to um, have God's buy-in. Uh, to what it is that you want to do. Um, and if you can line that up, you've got your spouse on board, got God on board, you're going to be good. That's so great. So, um, so important. Friends, as we come into a close here, I just want to celebrate. We've got uh, comments of people sharing testimonies about how God has done miracles in their finances when they started to tithe. And so uh, I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for that to lead the way because honestly, um, that's the story of so many. And so somebody had asked earlier about um, how do we change our cultural view of finances? And I think one of the ways is by normalizing open, transparent conversations about what God does. I think even just being able to articulate that to even your unchurched friends, neighbors, and coworkers, um, hey, you won't believe what happened to me when I started prioritizing God. They have no concept of what the tithe is or what it means to give in that way. But just to normalize this type of conversation uh, publicly and be willing to talk about it, I think goes a long way to uh, to shape and change culture, but also to spark people's interest to recognize that there's a different way than just being enslaved to your finances for the, your entire life. There's a different way to live, and we want to invite people to that freedom mm-hmm. uh, as those that call Christ our King. And so um, we're really excited about that. Um, let, as we uh, wrap up, let's do final comments uh, from around the circle here, and uh, and that will close off our time. Uh, Tracy, you want to start? Sure. Final thoughts from me are that generosity leads to joy. Mm-hmm. So be generous and um, do it yourself. Go online, save some money, see what you can do, what you can figure out. And uh, there are a lot of great resources online for budgeting and helps there. And like Jeremy said, reach out. If there's something that we can help you with, we'd be happy to do that for sure. 
That's so great. Dave, final thoughts? Yeah, I would just say, you know, uh, take heart. Uh, you know, the people that are listening out there that maybe are struggling financially, that uh, you can do it. You can be uh, positive to uh, have a positive attitude for a better, uh, a better day financially. Uh, seek God's with, uh, wisdom and will for your life. And, uh, yeah, uh, just what Tracy said there, you know, uh, being generous and uh, it better to give than receive and, and have a positive, uh, you know, have a positive attitude towards your, your money. And, again, as I said, you're not taking it with you, so you might as well, uh, you know, see how you can help others and that are in a less fortunate situation than you're in. So. Uh, you know what? If there's anything I could help anybody with as well, I'd be glad at any time to uh, talk to folks or encouraging them in any way that I can. Yeah, we so appreciate that, Dave. And seriously, for anybody listening, or if you listen to this on the podcast after, uh, mw.church, uh, there's a contact form there, and we can connect you with any one of us. We'd love to chat more in depth about your uh, financial situation and, uh, and, and or you know, connect you to somebody um, that's a professional like Ivan uh, in this industry. Ivan, do you want to give us the, your closing thoughts? Well, I, I think this is fantastic, and we need, we need more of this. And I'll first say that you know, many of you or most of you have figured out how to make money, right? Most of us, if you've got a job, if you've got a business, you're making money. But it's a separate skill to keep it, right? It's a separate skill to grow it. And um, a lot of people just don't learn the skill. And you're right. There are so many resources out there. So I'd encourage you to take a stance in your life. If you, if you don't want to continue to struggle with money, learn the skill. Read the book. Take the class. There's a great book called The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a fantastic uh, read. But be willing to learn the skill. Be willing to get better. But most importantly, ask for God's guidance ask for god's mm. help and trust and have some faith so great well ladies and gentlemen thanks for uh, sticking with us and we look forward to the final two weeks of this series six habits of healthy people this coming sunday if you're listening in live real time we've got pastor joel bringing the word all about relationships and then the following week i'll be back for a very hot button topic that i can't wait to talk about with fear and trembling so until then enjoy the rest of your evening thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time